Good morning, Lake Point Church. So good to see you guys uh, here this morning. Hey, if I could, can I get everybody to stand with me? If you have your Bible, you can open it up, use your Bible app. Everybody would just stand, and let's honor the Word of God this morning together. We're going to be in Psalms, Psalms chapter 16, and we're going to be in verses 1 and 2. Keep me safe, my God, for you I take refuge. I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. Apart from you, I have no good thing. God bless you. You may be seated. So like they said, my name's Joe Salvatore. I'm lucky enough to be the student pastor here at Lake Point Church, and uh, it's just so awesome to be up here in front of you uh, this morning and just uh, talk about God's Word with you, and it's really cool to see all the, all the new faces at, at Lake Point Church. We love it when we uh, have the opportunity to connect with new people. Um, so <laughs> let me just explain if you don't really know what was going on up there. Let me just explain what you just witnessed. So how many of you guys have seen the TV show The Office? Okay, most everybody in here. So you probably are familiar with that scene. Uh, Dwight Schrute, obviously, was the, is the self-titled assistant regional manager. And he also gives himself the title safety coordinator. Now, he took it upon himself to plan a safety exercise because apparently the first one didn't get the point across. So he took it upon himself to start a fire in the office to get everybody's attention. And it was absolute chaos. Very hilarious, but absolute chaos chaos. When I think of a chaotic scene, that's what I think of. And that's one of my favorite uh, scenes from the show is, is that particular one. First of all, it's hilarious. And when I think of chaos, that's what comes in my mind. So my question for you guys this morning, just to kind of get you warmed up, is what were some of the most chaotic times in your life? When you think back, what were some of the, the times in your life that were the most chaotic that you've been through? And how did you find peace? What did you do to find peace in those situations? Well, it just so happens I've got a little story for you. Uh, earlier in the week, um, I was tending to uh, my daughter, me and my wife, Kayla. We have two children. Um, our oldest is Lucy. She's about to be three years old. And uh, Emmy, she is four months old. And I had Emmy at the time. So I'm, you know, Lucy's, uh, excuse me, Kayla's putting Lucy to bed, which is a job on itself. And I'm, I've got Emmy uh, trying to, you know, you know, uh, get her ready for bed, and, and we love this little girl, Amy, to death. She, she is the center of our life, and just, just really a joy. Um, we're so blessed, but she's a fussy baby. Some of you uh, volunteers back there, I think you guys are kind of nodding your heads. She's a fussy baby, all right? It's just, just how she is, just her personality. Nothing's wrong. Everything's fine. She's just who she is, and we've been finding different ways to console her, and one of the things I've found is gripe water. Gripe water actually works. I don't know what they put in that stuff. I don't know what it is about it, but it gets in her system, gets her calmed down. She's good to go for about an hour. Um, so we, I thought to myself she was getting on her fussy side, so I was like, well, you know what? I'm going I'm to go break out the gripe water, you know, get that, get that going in the system. So I don't know what I did. Now, let, me, let me just stop right here. I haven't had too many fail moments as a dad. You know, dads, we're, you know, hear me out. We all have those moments where we make those boneheaded mistakes. It's just just part of our DNA. It's how we're wired. I haven't had too many of those, knock on wood. Um, well, I had one this time. I don't know what I did wrong. I don't know what happened, what angle. I put the medicine in, but it went. You ever drink something and it goes in the wrong part of your throat and you start coughing and can't really breathe? Well, that happened to her, but only like five milliliters worth of medicine 
down her throat in the wrong pipe, and she starts choking. She starts choking, coughing, and the look in her eyes when I held her up, held her up like this, the look in her eyes, she just looked at me like, dude, what have you done? I don't know what's going on. She couldn't breathe, and I usually I'm cool in, you know, tough situations. Not this one. I panicked. I ran to Lucy's room, kicked open the door, handed her, Kayla, Kayla, she's choking. Of course, Kayla, being super mom, just grabbed her, flipped her over on her knee, pop, 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 got the gripe water out, we're good to go. But I panicked. I, I mean, I absolutely panicked. But I found peace in my chaotic situation with my wife. Because guess what? She held it together and I didn't. And it, it messed me up, man. Later on that night, I laid in bed just having these revelations like, oh, man, am I a good dad? What could I have done differently in that situation? God, show me a sign. Just ha- I mean, it messed me up. I, the, Emmy went through a tough time there because of me. But like I said, I found peace in my wife because she held it together. So I'm sure all of you guys, you guys probably have some stories like that, some funny stories that have happened um, that you can relate to, that you can share, maybe get a laugh, maybe, you know, uh, start some conversation. And all that's good, all that's fun to talk about. But not every chaotic situation we go through in our life is funny. Not every chaotic situation we go through brings a smile to our face or is a fun story to bring up. In fact, it may bring up a lot of pain. It may bring up a lot of suffering that you went through in your life. You see, when chaotic situations come, sometimes we don't cope with them very well. And I'm willing to bet that there's some, some people in this room that maybe are going through a situation right now. Maybe you're going through a situation where it's just absolute chaos in your life and you feel like you can't breathe every time you, every time you turn, every time you think you've got it in your mind, and it's just absolute chaos. You see, when these things happen, sometimes we don't cope with them very well. It's just human nature. It's how we are. I've been there. Sometimes we turn to things that don't sustain us to give us just momentary relief, drugs and alcohol. Sometimes we turn to that. Um, unfortunately, I've, I've seen a lot of that in my family, and I can tell you firsthand, it, it just doesn't sustain you. But it does in the moment, and so we turn to that, but it's not fulfilling. Maybe we turn to a bad relationship. We're in a relationship that doesn't quite look like what God wants it to be, and it's not going in the direction that God wants it to, but you're holding on to it because it's giving you that momentary relief in your chaos. We can cope with these things in negative ways, and it really, really, really just doesn't sustain us. It holds us just for that split second, and then we, look, we wake up in the morning or whatever we're doing, and it, it's gone. Now we're back to square one. But church, I'm here to tell you today that there is a better way to cope with whatever chaos you have in your life, whatever you're dealing with, there is a way to cope with that this morning, and that's Jesus. Jesus will sustain you, he will fulfill you, he is a never-ending healing cycle on you that will bring you, that will, will, will erase your pain, erase your debt, that will bring you out of your chaos, and it's Jesus. But we don't always think that way, do we? It's okay, I, I, I've been there. We don't always run to Jesus in our chaotic situations. And like I said, it's human nature. We're not perfect. But what I want to look at today, I want to share a story where three men were faced with a chaotic situation that pretty much had their life on the line. Their life was on the line. Complete, the utmost, worst chaos you could be in. 
And I want to see how they reacted, and I want to see how God moved. Heavenly Father, we just thank you so much for your word. We thank you so much for this church. And we just thank you, God, for being powerful. You are the most powerful thing that we could have in our lives. You can move mountains. You can separate waters, Lord. And we know that you can do anything in our lives. And God, I just pray that you open up these scriptures. You make it relatable for our lives. And you help us, you give us the strength to carry these scriptures out into the remainder of the week, or the remainder of our week coming up. In your name I pray, amen. So if you have your Bible, we're going to be in Daniel chapter 3, and that's where we're pretty much going to spend our time. We'll bounce around to a few other scriptures outside of that. But if you have your Bible, we'll be in Daniel chapter 3. Obviously, you got your Version Bible app, and then we'll also have the screens up for you. Um, so I just want to give you some backstory here of where we're at in the story. So around 580 B.C., okay, the Babylonian Empire came in and attacked the city of Jerusalem. Now, Jerusalem was holding God's people at the time, the people that God appointed as his people, and he wanted them to be an image of him. But the Babylonian Empire came in, and they took these people captive. They, they just plundered the whole city, took everything, took the people, took them to a new land where they had to be in a new culture, a new setting, and they, they pretty much held them captive, captive, and that's what we call the exile. Now, let me just point out that this was at God's hand. He allowed this to happen because, like I said before, these people that were in Jerusalem were supposed to be an image of God, and they just weren't living that way. The people weren't people were living in sin. The leaders they were um, they weren't leading people to the gospel. They, in fact, they were probably praising other gods above ours. And so God allowed this to happen, and we've seen Him do this in the Bible before. He brought the flood um, when when similar situations occurred like this. So like I said, these Israelites, they were taken out of Jerusalem, they were taken to Babylon, where they were in, in a, a whole new culture, a whole new setting, had to, had to find whole new beliefs. Now they were faced with two choices, either worship, turn away from the Babylonian gods, the false gods they wanted them to serve, turn away from that and serve our God, but they were probably going to face some serious persecution, such as death. Choice number one. Choice number two, go ahead, serve these gods, serve these false gods that we are not called to serve, and just live there, exist, be there, spiritually dead. Now doesn't that, let me just stop right there, let me pause, doesn't that just sound a lot like life today? Doesn't that sound similar to what we go through today? We may not face death. But we face spiritual death because our society tells us you have to live a certain way that's not appointed to God. Everywhere you turn, internet, social media, everywhere you turn, and those things aren't always bad, but a lot of the culture that we live in today tells us to turn away from God and to live the way the world wants you to live. You got to be the party animal to be cool. You got to be rich and hold on to that money. You got to be in bad relationships. It's all about your status and not your faith. And it's amazing to me, it's amazing to me that so long ago, these people were dealing with similar issues that we're dealing with today. I mean, it's amazing. It really is just the same issues, just maybe less repercussions. So back to, back to kind of the overview here. God sent wise men, wise men to speak his word through them to the people. And one of them is the prophet Jeremiah. Now, the prophet Jeremiah told these people that were being held captive, he said, hey, listen, 
Go ahead and dig in, because you're in it for the long haul. So here's what you need to do. Settle in. Settle into the culture. Obey the laws of the land. Do what you got to do. But do not serve any other God under any circumstances. Serve no idols under any other circumstances. King Nebuchadnezzar, who was the king of Babylon at this time, he, he would go out and he would find some of these people that were held captive, and if they were worthy to be his servants, otherwise, you know, had good qualities about them, could handle themselves, he brought them in to be his servants. The main four and the most famous four that you probably know was Daniel, who was given the name uh, Belshazzar, Hananiah, who was given the name Shadrach, Mishael, who was given the name Meshach, and Azariah, who was given the name Abednego. These men, they were recruited to serve King Nebuchadnezzar, recruited to help him do whatever he, he needs, bring him his wine, whatever he needs. But the member, the goal, do not serve other gods. Be willing to lay your life down for your God. And just, we're going to talk about those last three uh, mainly here today. And just so you know, saying those last three names together, boom, 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 they can get kind of, they can trip you up a little bit. So if I trip up on it, you know who I'm talking about. Um, we're going to be in Daniel chapter 3, and we're going to start in verse 4, and we're going to read down to four, uh, uh, verse 7. Then the herald loudly proclaimed, nations, peoples of every language, this is what you are commanded to do. As soon as you hear the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipe, and all kinds of music, you must fall down, worship the image of gold King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. Whoever does not fall down, worship immediately, will be thrown into a blazing furnace. Therefore, as soon as they heard the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, all kinds of music, all nations, peoples of every language fell down and worshiped the image of gold that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. So the decree of the land is set. It's pretty much laid out for them. Hey, here's what you're going to serve. Here's the God. And a lot of Old Testament uh, false leaders did this. They had images of gold that, that people worship. It may be a symbol of power, but this is what they were to serve. Now, all the people, just about all the people did it. I mean, they gave into it, just like what we face here. Sometimes we give in to sin. Sometimes we give in to what everybody's doing. Sometimes we bow down and we worship things like money. We worship things like success over God. Maybe not literally down on our knees bowing, but it's where our heart lies. And that's what these, a lot of these people were doing. But there were three that did not. Going up to verse 10, your majesty has issued a decree that everyone who hears the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipe, and all kinds of music must fall down and worship the image of gold. And whoever does not fall down will be thrown into a blazing furnace. But there are some Jews who you have sent over from the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who pay no attention to you, your majesty. They neither serve your gods nor worship the image of gold that you have set up. These three men, they stood up for the faith of their God in a situation that was very, very, very stressful. I mean, you've got all these people around you worshiping, what they were called to worship that wasn't our holy God. But these three men had the faith to step up and say, no, I'm not going to do that. We're going to worship our God because our God is everlasting. Our God is pure, not this. Now, when you say that to yourself, you think some great reward would come down, right? You think God would just come down, oh, 
thank you very much. Scoop them up and get them out of there. That's not necessarily how faith works. God does bless you. Sure, he comes in, he steps in, he takes care of you. But your faith isn't built on a reward system. Our faith in God, it's not built on good works. It's not built on doing good things and then good things come to you. It's not an exchange. It is a relationship. Our faith is built on relationship. Because you see, if it was always just this reward system, just as if I'm just going to buy a good, it wouldn't be pure. It wouldn't be everlasting. We would just wait till the next thing goes around and next thing goes wrong, and we would try and find something good to do, and it would get replaced. It wouldn't be everlasting like a relationship. When we have a relationship with God, we become stronger. It's just like, a, it's just like um, being in a marriage. When you become more of a better relationship with your spouse, you guys are going to be able to endure things. When you lose your job, money gets tight, some, you know, some couples split up. But if the stronger of a relationship you have, you're going to stick through it, you're going to fight through it, and then you're going to get that break. No different than being on a sports team, right? I have some of my former friends that I played football with um, in the crowd. We had a strong relationship. Nothing could break us up. Nothing. Nothing could come in between us. Funny, just a quick funny story. When I played freshman football, I played just a tiny, tiny bit dirty to the edge of the whistle. Guys would always get, you know, in my face, and, you know, we'd kind of have a little word, but they'd always walk away. Like, hey, I'm pretty, pretty tough, right? They kind of walk away from me. Well, about the third game in the season, I realized my best friend, one of my best friends, Seth Parker, six foot five, is right behind me. They were walking away from him, not me. It wasn't me that was scaring them. But we had a relationship where we had each other's back. It's the same thing with the relationship you have with God. You see, every time you build that relationship with the Lord, you dive into his word even more because you love him, you want to grow that relationship even more, and when you dive into the word more, you begin to live a life that reflects what God's word says. And when you live a life that reflects what God's word says, you begin to make better decisions. You begin to run away from the things that are tugging at you. You become a better father, husband, spouse, kid, employee, all these things matter when you build a relationship with God. Remember that. Remember that faith is not built on our rewards or what he can do for us, but it's a relationship that we grow with him. Because before we have that relationship, before we come to Christ, we're lost sheep. And I can tell you firsthand, before I came to Christ, I was a lost sheep big time. I didn't even know I was sinning sometimes. But the most important thing is I didn't even know what the sin I was doing and how it was damaging my life. One of the biggest things was, and I think I've made this no secret, I've had some family issues, you know, on my side of the family. We've, we've kind of worked through those by the grace of God, but before I came to Christ, I kind of held contentment against my family. I kind of held things against them, and it only led to anger. It only led to a family breaking up. It only led to sin. I was a lost sheep, but I didn't realize how bad it was damaging. I just thought I was, you know, man, these guys weren't good to me. They owe it to me. But it turns out I was just damaging myself. But when that relationship with God came in, I understood what sin was, and I understood how to overcome it. Build that relationship with God when it comes to your faith. Moving on to verse 13. This is Nebuchadnezzar's reaction to the three men that stood up to him. 
Furious with rage, Nebuchadnezzar summoned Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So these men were brought before the king, Nebuchadnezzar, said to them, Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the image of gold I have set up? Now, when you hear the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipe, and all kinds of music, you are ready to fall down and worship the image I have made. Very good. But if you do not worship, you will be thrown immediately into a blazing furnace. Then what God will be able to rescue you from my hand? So there it is. There's their persecution right there. They're staring at death right in the face because they will not worship his gods. They're only going to worship his. They're going to worship the God that they know to be true, that they know to be everlasting. How often are you faced with that in everyday life? Students, you probably can relate to this more than anything. How often are you faced with that? You don't want to hang out with us. You don't want to come drink with us. You don't want to come do this, do that. I mean, we don't really want to hang out with you. Rejection. There's your persecution. You don't want to act like we act like, you know, in the workplace. You ain't in the clique, man. There's your persecution. But we can draw inspiration from this response. There is so much power in this response they have in verse 16. And they say this. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to him, King Nebuchadnezzar, we do not defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we are thrown into a blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it. And even if he will not deliver us, your majesty's hand, but even if he does not, we want you to know, your majesty, that we will not serve your gods or worship an image of gold that you have set up. I mean, how much faith is that? Look how much power there is in that response. We will not serve your gods, but the most powerful part of it to me is, he says, even if he does not deliver us, we will still serve you. I mean, look at the power there. Are we willing to walk in that kind of faith? Do we walk with that kind of faith in our lives every day? It's not a guilt question. I mean, I, I struggle with that myself. Look at your life and ask yourself, do you walk with that kind of faith? Lord, I've had this car broken down forever. I'm on thin ice with my job. If I miss another day, I'm going to get fired. But if you don't come through and you don't fix this car, your will be done. I'll still follow you. Lord, I've got a family member that's sick. The illness has taken them over. They're, getting, they're on their last legs. I want you to come in and save them. But even if you don't come through and save them, even if you don't step through and heal them, I'll still serve you, Lord. Do we have that kind of faith in our lives? I can tell you something. Walking with that kind of faith can be difficult. But in Psalm 27, verse 14, it says this. Wait for the Lord. Be strong. Take heart and wait for the Lord. Church, he may not answer those prayers right when you think you need them. In fact, he may, he may let some things go. That car may not get fixed. You might lose your job. But it's like Pastor Frank said in a, in a couple series ago that I loved. He is a God of perfect timing. 
He's a God of perfect timing. He's a good father. What do good fathers do? They say no a lot, honestly. I remember when, I, I mean, you guys remember when you were a kid, you asked your dad for something, he said no, and you're like, but why? And he gave you a reason, and you didn't like the reason. There's a reason why. It's because good fathers look like 10 steps ahead. My daughter Lucy, she's got a bit of a sweet tooth. Well, I mean, what kid doesn't, I guess? She wants candy at night, cookies at night. I tell her no. She just doesn't understand why. Now, I don't know why I even try to explain it, but I do. Lucy, you can't have a cookie because then that's going to get you hyper. You're going to have a sugar rush. You're not going to sleep well, and then you're going to be miserable tomorrow for Nana and Papa. And we don't want that to happen, do we? You think she registers that? No. No. But, and I'm not claiming to be a good father. I'm just saying, good fathers try to think ahead. And I truly believe that God is a good father, and he takes that same principle. Maybe, maybe he's using your situation that you're in to grow your faith. Just bear with me here. Maybe he's using your situation to grow your faith. Maybe the one thing he's waiting on is for you to seek him. Maybe he's not moving just yet because you haven't moved just yet. Maybe he's waiting on you to reach out for him, whatever it may be, job on the line, budget's tight, illness in the family. Maybe he's just waiting on you to move so that when you finally move, you finally get down on your knees, whatever you got to do, and you pray, God, I give this problem to you, or we're here worshiping, and you come down to this altar, and you give it to him, and you say, God, I can't take this anymore. I'm tired of taking things into my own hands. I'm giving it to you, and then he moves. Because he wants to show you how powerful he is, and he wants to show you how good of a relationship it is when you're with him. Maybe he's just waiting on that. Or maybe he's making you suffer to be his example. And that may sound cruel at first, but just hear me out. Maybe, maybe you're going through a situation, illness, whatever it may be, and you're holding on to that faith. You're holding on to that faith. Students, maybe you're holding on to that faith of not going down the road some of people you may know are going down. You're holding on to that faith, and people are calling you crazy. Why are you serving this God? Why aren't you coming out with us? Why are you acting like this? Why are you holding on to this faith? And then you, and then you hold on, and you hold on, and then God finally moves for you, and then now look at the beautiful example you are. You're an example of what it looks like when you hold on to the faith of God. And I'm telling you something, people see things. We talk about it in our youth ministry. People see things. If they see you holding out on that faith, you staying strong, and God comes through for you, maybe just maybe that will bring them to Christ. Maybe that's enough. Maybe God is using your situation like a good father. His timing's perfect. Moving on to verse 19 in this story. All right, the heat's on, literally, no pun intended, but it's on now. Then Nebuchadnezzar was furious with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and his attitude toward them changed. He ordered the furnace to be heated seven times hotter than usual and commanded of the strongest soldiers in his army to line up, or excuse me, tie up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and throw them into the blazing furnace. So these men, wearing robes, trousers, turbans, and other clothings, were bound up and thrown into the furnace." Verse 22, then, king, then the king's command was so urgent that the furnace was so hot, the flames killed the soldiers who took Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these three men, firmly tied, fell into 
the blazing furnace. Can you imagine the fear that these men were facing? Tied up, bound, on the edge, about to go into a a blazing hot furnace. This thing was so hot it was killing dudes that were walking by it. And they're standing on the edge. And they're about to go in. Would you continue to serve your God? It's a tough question, right? Tough question. How many of you today, how many of you today feel like right now you're in a furnace? How many of you today feel like you're in a furnace and the heat is as hot as it can be? You can't breathe. You're tied up. You're bound. You can't move. And you feel like there's no hope in sight. I've been there. It's okay if you are. How many of you know somebody that's going through that right now? I know I've used this example already once, but maybe, maybe you've got, maybe you know someone who's lost a job, lost everything they had, and you could just see things crumbling. You could just see it crumbling in their lives. You could see things going wrong. They just look like they're bound. They look like they can't breathe. They look like they can't move. The stress is just overwhelming. Maybe you've lost a marriage. Maybe somebody has left you and you're alone and you feel like you can't breathe. Maybe you feel like you're in a spot right now where there's no hope. Or maybe you know of a marriage or you're, you, you know of somebody who's going through that. An illness in the family, someone who has addiction problems, whatever, doesn't matter what the example is. Maybe you are in a furnace today and you feel like you're bound and you're tied up and there's no escape. But church, there's something I want you to know. If you, if you kind of zoned out, it's cool, I'm not mad at you, but I want you to know this. You are not alone in the fire. You are not alone in the fire. You are not alone in whatever struggles you're going through, whatever pain you're feeling. You are not alone. No matter how alone you may feel, you're not alone. Let me tell you what you are. You're loved and you're saved. You're loved and you're saved. You're not alone because you're loved and you're saved. And I know that to be true because in verse 20, 24, verses 24, then King Nebuchadnezzar leapt to his feet in amazement and asked his advisors, weren't there three men we tied up and threw in the fire? They all replied, certainly, your majesty. He, looked, he said, look, I see four men walking in the fire, unbound, unharmed, and the fourth looks like a son of the gods. Nebuchadnezzar then approached the opening of the blazing furnace and shouted, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the God Most High, come out and come here. The spirit of Jesus was there with these men. The spirit of Jesus was there with these men. He untied them. He freed them. He kept them safe from the flames. How is that even possible? How is it possible that he could come in, and this is before him, but his Holy Spirit was there and he saved these men? How is it possible? 
It's because Jesus is greater. He was greater than the flames of that furnace. He was greater than whatever it was that had them tied up. He was greater than the soldiers that threw him in. He's greater than the evil that King Nebuchadnezzar may have had in his heart. And I'm here to, here to tell you today, he's greater. He's greater than whatever it is you may be going through. He's greater than whatever you're struggling with. He's greater because when you accept Christ, when you come to Christ, you're accepted into the kingdom with open arms. And when you're accepted into the kingdom, you're filled with a Holy Spirit that burns in you. And it's an everlasting love that will never die. I repeat, never die. No matter what comes your way, you could lose everything, but that spirit will not leave you. Go see the story of Job if you don't believe that. Look at that story and see what it says. Jesus is alive, he is in you, and he, when you accept him, he will never, ever leave you. It's an eternal spirit that will hold you through no matter what you're going through. But here's the kicker to it. All that's true. Even if you haven't came to Christ yet, hey, he still loves you. He's still there for you. But here's the kicker to it. It's a two-way thing, okay? He is there. His hand is there for you. But you got to do your part and show the relationship as well. And that's all it is, a relationship. It's a relationship. He wants your heart. That's all it is. He wants your heart. And the reason why it's important to have that relationship is because whenever the face of death or whatever it may be comes to you, you've got something to tap into that you know will never leave your side. Jesus is there with you in the fire. And he's our perfect example when, you, when, you are, when you're facing the wilderness or whatever you're facing. In the, in, the, uh, in the good news, the gospels, Jesus was tempted in the, in the wilderness for 40. He was on a 40-day fast. And Satan came after him, tempted him with food, money, power, whatever it may be, and he held true to God. He held true to God, and at the end of that story, the angels came and rescued him. So there's three points of encouragement I want to leave you with today, other than the fact that Jesus is there with you no matter where you are in your life. Three big points I want to leave, and I'll go ahead and ask the band to come up. They're going to lead us in our, our final a song of worship, but there's three main points I want you to hear today. God's timing is perfect. His timing is perfect. He stepped in at the very last minute to save these men. These men were thrown in, they were heading for the bottom, but he stepped in and he saved them at the very last minute. And that's to show how powerful he is. And he's so powerful that in verse 28, you can see it. Then Nebuchadnezzar said, praise be to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who sent his angel and rescued his servants. They trusted him, they defined in the king's uh, command, and were willing to give up their lives rather than serve or worship any god of their own. He comes in, maybe not when you think you need it, but he comes in just at the nick of time. There's no bound, my point number two, there's no bounds that Jesus cannot break. There's no bound that Jesus cannot break. It does not matter how far you are. It does not matter. 
Jesus. You're never too far away from Jesus. You're never too far away from Jesus. I used to think that when you, when you had to come to Christ, there was a lot of things you had to do first. I, I used to think you had to, you know, you had to walk the straight and narrow. You had to memorize a bunch of scriptures. You had to, uh, you know, sign a contract, send it in to the whatever Central Church of America. I used to think there was all these things you had to do before you became a Christian, but it's not true. Look in, book, look in the book of Acts, and I'm going to paraphrase it in chapter 8. Book of Acts, chapter 8. The apostle Philip was walking down a, a, a road, and he finds an Ethiopian who was reading the, uh, the prophets of Isaiah, and the guy didn't even know what he was reading. He had no clue what he was looking at, but there was one thing he believed. He believed that Jesus was the Son of God. This guy's an Ethiopian. He doesn't know what he's looking at, and he believed that Jesus was the Son of God. And so Philip took him, and the Ethiopian said, hey, there's water. What's stopping me from being baptized? And he got baptized right there and saved right there. This man did not even know what he was reading, but he believed that Jesus was the Son of God, and that's what saved him. And by the way, that's all you need. That's all you need. Now, there's a life of obedience that comes after that, but that's all you need. And my final point, again, if you've, if you've kind of zoned out, that's okay, but the one thing I want you to know, that Jesus is greater. Jesus is greater. He's greater than the flames. He was greater than the chains or the ropes or whatever held them in. He's greater than King Nebuchadnezzar's evilness. He's greater than your illness. He's greater than your marriage, your failed marriage. He's greater than your tight finances. He's greater than your family problems. He's greater than your debt, your guilt, your past sins. Whatever it is that you've been struggling with your whole life, he's greater and he's ready to lift you today. So what we're going to do, we're going to close with one final song of worship. And I'll, I'm, I'm going to be down here in the front worshiping. Um, not that I'm worthy, but just that I'm, I'm here for anyone who needs, who needs encouragement. And we've got Pastor Frank here. We've got leaders in the church here. If you feel like you're in the furnace today, don't go through it alone. But let me go ahead and tell you, you're already not alone because Jesus is there with you. Jesus is there with you in your fire. This altar's open. This altar's open. If you've got something that's killing you today, that's holding you down, that's, that's just really, really hurting you today, bring it right here. Lay it right here and pray that God will lift you and remind you that Jesus is there with you. And of course, I'm here to pray with you as well if you need it.